Hello, my name is Russell Howcroft and I've been, well, I've lived a lot of lives. I've been an ad man, a CEO, a chair, an author, a panellist, and I'm currently co-host of a radio show on 3RW and I'm partner, chief creative officer at the Sayers Group and I host this podcast. Welcome to Conversations. That's Conversations, a Sayers podcast. Throughout my time, I've learned that so much in life starts with, yep, yeah, a conversation and that's what we're going to do right here today. I'm I'm actually particularly excited because we've got Janie Martino in in the house today. Now Janie Martino, she's a mum, a consultant, advisor, investor, director, author, um, genuinely, uh, as you're all about to find out, one of Australia's great executives, one of great one of Australia's great achievers in life. And I'm really uh, excited that you've given us the opportunity, Janie, to um, to tell your story. So welcome. Oh, thanks, Russ. It's great to be here. It's very good of you to make the time. Okay, so what we do first is um, we, we really what I suppose overemphasise that this is all about a conversation. So we're going to play you, this is Freddie, uh, Freddie's producing today, we're going to play you some sounds and we just want you to listen to them uh, and just relax into it and just uh, I'll ask you a question after you've heard the sounds. Okay. So we want to ensure that you have a fabulous chat here today. Which environment evokes, in your mind, the best place to have a conversation? The noisy one. <laughs> yes. I'm totally with you. Right? So we're in a pub. I mean, we're in a pub, we're in a cafe. I'm looking at you mm. where it's noisy, so we have to be really focused the energy is high. Yeah. In the other environments, the energy might be a bit low, a bit mellow. Yeah. You can have really great conversations then too, but I might get a bit sleepy. Yeah, I'm totally with you. This would be my favourite. Although a little fireside might be fun as well. Maybe we'll do that another time. Glass of bread. Okay, indeed. Now, Janie, I know a lot about your business life, but um, can we just go? Let's just go back to give us a bit of a shape of what made Janie Martino the person. I think it was definitely my upbringing, like it is with most of us, but I think it's really puzzling how I've turned out when you look at my upbringing because I have very conservative parents, uh, academic and a librarian, very risk-averse. Um, I was always at school disruptive and doing things that would push boundaries so if you look at where I've come from, I'm almost the polar opposite of that. Mm. I have a great relationship with mum and dad and they are incredibly proud of all the things that I do and have done, but they have scratched their heads and almost torn their hair out on many occasions. So I think – but that was also the making of me because dad always really – emphasised how important it is to work for yourself, which is ironic because he worked for the CSIRO for over 30 years and then was a professor at Swinburne University. But that really inspired me. That that really put the fire in my belly alongside my quite disruptive nature and 
you know, risk taking nature to push me out the other side and say, well, what does that look like for me? Okay. CSIRO, of course, I mean, really, one of Australia's great institutions, incredible. Have you, have you, let's get right to the end of this podcast. Have you gone to CSIRO and said, can I help you guys monetize all these freaky things that you do? Not yet. Um, I, I think that is, if you look at that though, that is a little bit about, I, I obviously have lots of components of my dad in me. He was drawn to the innovation. He was part of that. He has an incredible work ethic, which I've definitely adopted and has got me where I am today. So, yeah, like I I almost feel – and there has been moments in time where our careers have overlapped in right. industries we've worked in and things we've done. So, right. yeah, I definitely – and monetizing academia and ideas is definitely often the missing loop too. Right. Right? And, and have you noticed um, – an improvement in that in let's say the last decade because it, it is something that we talk about often in Australia that it, it's something that perhaps we don't do as well as other countries get that academia into com- into commerce so we've known we've known the problem a long time have you seen any demonstrable improvements in that some not as not as far as we could push it and I think a lot of that is due to the fact there's not characters within those organisations to disrupt and progress the way that they need to to meet Mm -hmm. the innovators and the ideas where they are and where the market demands that they be. So I think until we have more of a critical mass of those archetypes within the organisations, I'm not sure that it will shift as quickly as it needs to. So that... That's one thing. I think the other thing is if you look at the success out of Silicon Valley and now here in many countries across the world in innovation, the companies that have the most success often pair a technical founder or a founder with an idea with an entrepreneurial operator. Yeah. And that's the co-founder magic. And so I think if if academia and, and those organisations can take that formula and push that within their organisations, they'll see more success. So you you see it as, so this isn't a chicken and egg situation. We actually know what comes first. What comes first is academia getting on the front foot. Or the founder coming up with the idea. Mm-hmm. And all great ideas are just that until they actually are able to be executed and placed in the hands of the people that will love them and belong okay. to, to them. Okay, so execution of ideas. Um, would you call that a core skill? I would. I think there are people that are born with it, just like there are people that are born to be creative or born, you know, lean more one. It's it's probably a left left brain, right brain thing, which you know a lot about. Uh, so, yeah, but I do think it can be learned. Mm-hmm. As in the execution can be learned. Correct. Right. Well, that's good to know. That's very, very good to I know. I do believe that. So I, I don't want to be accused of being a stalker, but when I was thinking about this conversation, Janie, I wrote down, I think I've got a list here of 10 things, maybe even a few more than 10, that I could just do off the top of my head that I know that you've done. Um, it, you've gone pretty well. Now, I'm going to choose what I think might be first. Um, and was Undertow your first undertaking? Yeah, that was – I had two roles after university. But, yes, I started Undertow Media when I was 25. Mm-hmm. 
and thought I knew everything. And now I'm nearly 45 and realise I know very little. (laughs) The irony. Um, Yeah, so I started that marketing comms agency in my mid-20s after having a few sort of senior roles in, in brand marketing and comms and saw a real gap sitting on the other side and hiring agency, saw a real gap for execution and ah, delivery. Okay. So very much has always been something that has been a strength of mine and something that I saw having engaged so many agencies that was a real need in the market. And so, yeah, started building from there. Started on my, my kitchen bench with a laptop and my brain mm-hmm. and off I went. And so, okay, off you went. But you did a little better than just off you went. So tell us, just give us a quick story around Undertow. Yeah, so built that up over eight years uh, to just under 30 young people working for me, predominantly female. Um, One of my second hires ended up taking over from me as CEO when I sold the business to the Bastion Group in 2009. And we had clients that ranged from really big blue chip clients, BP, Fosters, um, right through to sort of fast moving consumer goods, 5am yoghurt. Um, so we had lots of fun, lo- did a lot in, pro- in the property industry and I really, that's where I cut my teeth on managing a business, managing a team, building a culture and really understanding myself as a leader. Okay, so, all right, well, let's go to that. So understanding yourself as a leader. So give us give us the top three, the top tips or the top three insights on Janie Martino as a leader. Well, as a leader in in 2009 and, and prior like I'd say I didn't have many top tips except stop micromanaging. I, I was a very poor leader. If I look back now, um, I didn't understand the importance of giving people autonomy and really believing in them. Um, I did believe in them, but my behaviour as a leader would contradict that. Mm-hmm. So learning to, I think, over the past 20 years understand myself better, my strengths, and also how to get the best out of other people and how to build teams and culture. Um, I'd say my top tips now would be very different from what I thought they were then. Okay, so you're 33 and you have got your first sell, you've sold a business. Now, uh, an old business part of mine said to me, um, you actually create a business to sell. Was that your going in point? Always. And it has been ever since, to be honest. I'm not, I don't get attached to businesses. I love them and I'm fully engaged and engrossed at the time, but I always begin with the end in mind. Mm. So even though I am and lean probably to more, to more of the executional operational side of my strengths, I'm also really creative. So come up with ideas, but always when I think about businesses or brands, I think about how they're going to be in the world in future. And I build that with the name, the brand, and how I want them to be, and then I work backwards from there. So the business that you sold at 33, uh, it does have a different name now, but it's still going. I think, I'm right in mm. saying that, right? Yep, it's called Bastion Effect now. Yeah, yeah. well, congratulations. You Thank know, you. It's not an easy thing to do. Now, I've got written down here, as I said, um, off the top of my mind, smiling mind, shout, a bit of ANZ, Melbourne Footy Club, of course. Um, Tribe, I think you're an investor in Tribe. Um, of course, you're involved in Light Warrior. You've written books. 
Um, Brand Crush, you still involved in that one? Yes. Um, there's a story around Unlocked. Um, Launch Vic, you still involved with Launch Vic? No, I was on. I was an inaugural board member there. So, but yeah, they're still firing and doing good things for the ecosystem. Magnificent. And most recently, you were a Barbie. I was. I am. Yeah. So I think I, I can't help it. I need to go straight to that one. So tell us about the. Give us the Barbie story. Well, Barbie has an international program called Barbie Role Models, which is actually aimed to encourage young people, in particular young girls, but young people, to reach their full potential and see ordinary and extraordinary people doing things that they might admire um, and encourage them to really, truly believe that anything is possible. Mm. So they do that every year annually and they choose one person from each country to represent their theme for the role models each year. And, um, yeah, it was entrepreneurs. I just – did, did we make enough of that? Like, were you on the front page of the newspaper and were you the head, headline in the evening news? And why? I'm, I'm going to guess that of the many thousands of people listening to this podcast that they would be surprised to hear that you were – you, you, they, they literally made a doll of you. They literally made a Barbie doll of Janie Martino because – they decided that you were the entrepreneur that needed to be celebrated, correct? That's correct. And they have commissioned research to, which has found that from ages as young as five is when young girls start to doubt their, full, their ability to reach their full potential or that they can do anything they put their mind to. Mm. So, yeah, they, they look at people around the world that they think would be inspiring to these young girls and they create a like a Barbie in your honour. It's the highest honour that Barbie can bestow. I love it. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I was really proud. I think, you know, for Mattel and Barbie, it's more about what it represents and the way that they communicate that than it is about, you know, the publicity. It's more the meaning behind it and how they how they talk to the audience about it. This, this to me, uh, I, I think the Barbie case study is an absolute cracker. Uh, when, when we think that... Clearly, Barbie as it was is off trend, yeah, and no longer really how um, women want to be represented. And rather than say, "Do you know what? We're, we're probably just going to uh, well, we'll milk this for as long as we can, but eventually this this product item, this brand is going to die," which which would have been one of the decisions that they could have made. Rather than do that, they completely put they put Barbie on trend, uh, and. When I think about the advertising campaign that TBWA did, I think it was TBWA. TBWA. What a cracking case study. I mean, and mm. I presume it's working for them, but tell me. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that if you look at their actual range of Barbies and the diversity that is represented, yeah. I think you can imagine young people because my youngest son absolutely adored Barbie so young people walking down the aisles and actually connecting with a doll that does represent parts of them mm. and that that and that's what that's what Barbie now represents and that's what the role models yeah. program is 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 meant to emphasize right. which I think's just fantastic I had a Ken doll Janie and um, I used to love dressing him up as a spaceman 
Really? <laughs> yeah, I had a Ken, my Ken and Barbie that had a lot of romance. Yeah, I've always loved love. <laughs> so now I've reeled off ten things or thereabouts. Did I miss anything in particular? As I was reading down that list, did you say, "Oh no, Russ, you've missed out on uh, X"? I know it's a bit hard for you to just off the Not top. Not at all. I obviously what are you doing mother right? of three boys. Three boys. Yeah. Three teenage boys, keeping me well and truly on my toes. Right. Uh, but no, nothing, you know, I think if you think about that list, what that list represents is what I describe as a yellow brick road. Mm. And I've followed the yellow brick road that has been led by my curiosity and more recently by how I feel. So So tell us about that. So how you feel is making business decisions for you. Yeah, it's making certainly decisions about people I work with, founders that I invest in, um, how I spend my days, you know, does do I feel, am I enjoying this? Do I feel in flow? Mm-hmm. And do I feel like I'm making impact? Right. And I definitely didn't use that as my guiding light earlier in my career. Mm-hmm. I would have used my ego, what it looked like, what people might think, whereas now... Like for me, it's about enjoyment and I believe when you're in flow Mm -hmm. and you're doing things that matter to you and other people and you're making impact, (laughs) that is actually how you will have most success anyway. So give us an example of your most recent, well, positive flow. Well, I would say there's probably two. One would be taking on the chairman role at Smiling Mind, which is a company, um, a not-for-profit that I found for co-founded, yes, mm-hmm. with James Tutton, uh, 10 years ago this year actually, and we've introduced 7 million people to mindfulness meditation. <laughs> it's in two-thir- two-thirds of schools around the country and we have about 800,000 monthly active users. And that for me is – I forgot for a while there – why I did that and reconnecting with that at a time when we were going through the pandemic, the demand for what we do and how we support families and young people was higher than ever. I was really able to reconnect with what's important and where I spend my time and and why I created Smiling Mind with James in the first place. So that – and every time I speak to someone about it, I'm in a meeting about Smiling Mind, I'm – at the head office, I just feel so incredibly connected to purpose mm-hmm. and to what is really important in life, which isn't a bank balance. It isn't what's on my LinkedIn. It's actually making a difference oh. and leaving something that I'm proud of. So, okay, plans then for Smiling Mind? Well, we've really been challenged from a funding perspective over the last few years. Our demand has more than doubled across the pandemic (laughs) and particularly from schools post the pandemic but government funding for prevention which is where we sit on the mental health scale Mm -hmm. uh sits at two percent fascinating so so the the money goes to the fix not the not the prevention yeah Yeah. so so it's really hard i mean we've obviously got other income streams we've got our corporate program which funds a proportion of our org and we're very focused on sustainability but, yeah, so that, that part of our funding has really dried up. So we have huge goals to extend the program 
through resilience and positive psychology well beyond mindfulness. But, you know, we're, we're going to have to also um, look at our funding program and, mm. and how, we, how we actually deliver that to the world. But I'm confident we will do it and we will find the right partners who also care about what we're building in terms of embedding the right focus on our preventative mental health yep. Yep. into our young people and into our community. Because if people do not start to focus on equity between physical and mental health, we're going to get sicker. And if we don't start to tip the scales from a funding perspective more towards prevention, then we're not going to fix the problem or move the statistics from where they are. No question. Um, what one in four? One in four people at some one point in, in time will experience suffer a mental illness. Yeah, indeed, uh, I think that one thing that the market—it's a horrible word, I think. Um, one thing that the community has done uh, in the last twenty years, I think we've done a good job at normalising mental health. Um, have we? Have we come the full distance on that? Do you think? I think there's still a long way to go, and I, but I think we've definitely done an incredible job of raising awareness, um, bringing acceptance and understanding into, you know, workplaces in particular, but schools and other environments. What I don't think we've done well enough yet is actually helped people link the importance of getting ahead mm. of things that are happening. I think we're still getting to more of the near crisis or crisis point before we put up our hand and say, I need help. Yep. So that's the piece we need to work on. Yeah, and indeed just making exercising one's mental health just a daily thing, just a part of the daily routine, just like having your bowl going cereal. For right, going yeah. for a run. Well, speaking of running, you, you do a lot of running as well, right? I do. I love running. And over the pandemic, I, I got into it even more because it was a way for me to connect with friends. I joined a run group. Uh, so yeah I've come to that I've always enjoyed being really active but I've come to that later in life I've got dogs that I love taking running as well right. so that's been a real a real plus for me so I asked you about positive flow you said there were two examples one was being the chair of a smiling mind what was the other one the second one was taking up a role at Linktree which was a company mm. I have been consulting to and I've been consulting now for over two years and loving the flexibility, loving working with, in really dynamic environments and the variety of that with great people. And Linktree was no exception. Really love the business, founders are great and unbelievable team and culture and was offered a, a full-time permanent role there. And I really haven't had many bosses in my life. I sold a business to ANZ, so I got a boss then. Mm -hmm. uh, but aside from that, really, since I was in my 20s, I haven't had a boss. And so when I was offered a role, it was a big decision for me. Um, but I'm super excited about the vision of the company, but most excited about the culture and the people and the impact I could make. So tell us what Linktree does. Linktree empowers anyone to curate and grow their digital universe. So how they do that is recognise that you and I and everyone are not just one thing and we have ourselves all over, whether it be our social media, whether it be causes we care about, all over the internet and it allows us to bring it into one place, one link in our bio, 
one link that we can send out to the world and define who we are and what's important to us. Okay, that sounds interesting. It's Very amazing. Good. So you, you sold a business to ANZ. I think that was Shout? Yes. What did Shout do? Shout was a community fundraising platform. Mm-hmm. And now I'm showing my age, but at the time it actually allowed people to donate on mobile. So it, before that it was desktop only uh, and it allowed people to do so in sort of small amounts as well and and built it together with really interesting marketing and fundraising campaigns. So, yeah, so sold that to ANZ in 2015 and then went and worked in the big bank. So good. Love this. Now, last night I was an event, at an event, speaking at an event, and I was asked about the role of influencers in, in business, building brands. Um, I won't tell you how I answered it, but tell, tell me how you would answer that question in today's modern marketing world what do you do with – I'm asking you that because you are part of the tribe tribe. So I'm asking you that because of that question, because of that investment, I should say. Well, I think the shift that I've seen certainly since I had my agency, it's completely turned on its head and I, I love it because I describe it as giving power to the people and credibility now comes and is born from others. So rather than a brand being able to pay for space – to tell us or find us and tell us it's a great product, Mm -hmm. we would much prefer to hear that it's a great product and know that it's a great product or brand from someone we trust. And that person we trust doesn't even have to be a celebrity. Yeah. So that person's circle of influence is more about who they are as a person and how we feel about them but they have a huge ability to influence how we feel about a brand or a product. Nonetheless, the brand is paying to be there. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Uh Yes, in the case of Tribe, absolutely. But I think that is a good example of the recognition of the power of a micro-influencer and the ripple effect that that can have if that micro-influencer and the power of social media people start to then trial the product, interact with the brand, and then that also has a viral effect. Yeah. So they start to influence without being paid to do so. Got it. Now, footy club. So you, as have I, in fact, I think you took my seat. <laughs> I think I did, I, but we're still friends. <laughs> the Melbourne Football Club. Okay, so you're a board director of the Melbourne Footy Club. Um, I found it actually... I learned a lot. I, I suspect you would have as well. Just maybe give us a bit of an insight into the privilege, in a way, of being part of um, what's a deeply sort of co- of cultural importance in our town, certainly, being a part of a footy club board. So give us a bit of an insight on your experience. Yeah, I think, well, firstly, big boots to fill, obviously. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, no, but I think I love business. I'm... And I'm, as I said before, really curious. And for me, I grew, I grew up loving football. It was very much a part of my life and my family. So I did feel incredibly privileged uh, to be part of it. What I also love doing is making impact. And when I stepped on the board, as you would well know, the Melbourne Football Club was at the bottom of the ladder. Yeah. And so what... I did, I did a good job. <laughs> 
carry on, Joe. You, you started. <laughs> you started something. Uh, so what? What I loved about the opportunity and what I feel very proud of, which I think you should feel proud of too, and and pe- many people who were on the board prior also over the probably decade that it really took to to turn the club around, um, was being part of making hard decisions, decisions that the members didn't like a lot of the time, particularly in terms of the playing playing list, uh, in terms of, you know, selling certain assets and, and some of the things that we did, which maybe in the short term there was a hit to be taken, but certainly in the longer term and now looking back, mm-hmm. as that beautiful Steve Jobs quote always says, it's, you know, looking back it's so much easier to join the dots. So those dots are now coming together. The members and the general public, I think, can see there was, me- you know, our methodology and, and what we're trying to achieve and, and I feel like the club is really on its way. So, yeah, I also cannot believe how much of a business football is. Yeah. And I think people completely underestimate that. I, I don't know what they picture, but they should picture sitting there just as you would run any other board meeting in any other business. It is a very serious business. Indeed. And, and it's uh, about winning. Absolutely. And just as much as any other business. It's just the definition of a win mm. seems very different, but like beneath it all, if if the club is not financially flourishing and if the club does not have great leaders and if the club doesn't have a thriving culture, yeah. it won't be winning. I so for me, one of the interesting measurements was, um, sure, there's a ladder, you know, games won, games lost, and there's 18 teams on the ladder, but there's a ladder for every single other measurement as well. There's a ladder for sponsorship revenue. You might become in 10th in terms of sponsorship revenue, Nine clubs are doing better than you are. Um, there's a ladder in terms of membership. You might be coming seventh. In, so literally every single component of a footy club is measured against 17 other clubs, right? Exactly. Right? So that doesn't half sharpen the mind. Now, Janie, I'm on my list that I wrote down off the top of my head was Unlocked. Now, Unlocked was a enterprise which um, I know... Uh, there was huge amounts of enthusiasm for, um, but it's no longer out there. So I, I, I know that it didn't end particularly well. Um, I'm not even sure what's going on there, but I thought, Jesus, it can't all be about you being a genius. So what's happened with, what happened with Unlocked? Yeah, I think it's definitely not about being a genius and I think when you have things in your career that don't go well, yeah. it's really important to talk about them. Uh, and if I look at all of my experiences that you listed off, by far that is the hardest, but by far that is my favourite in terms of how much I learned and how much I grew out of that experience. So it was a business with a star-studded investor list, including Lachlan Murdoch, many sort of the who's who of media and tech in Australia. Um, It was a B2B concept uh, where you basically were rewarded for watching ads. It was, it was as one investor described it, a licence to print money, incredibly successful, got to a, an annual run rate revenue in a very short period of time that I have not seen ever again in any of the businesses that I've invested in or, or worked within over the last five years. Um, 
so was heading towards uh, an IPO and uh, we'd been in business probably I think about four years at that time. We were across multiple markets, US, UK, India, Australia and we were an Android product so taken off the Google Play Store mm-hmm. approximately I think eight weeks before we were going to be listed on the ASX. Okay. So it went from a business that was, you know, everyone was, as you said, super excited about was probably going to be listed at a couple of hundred million valuation yeah. to having to be put into administration. Yeah. So a huge fall from from a great height yeah. and it was also a really high profile business, uh, which at the time I was CEO of. Yeah. Okay. But here you are, stronger for it, no doubt. Definitely. And I think were there things we may have done differently potentially, but I think I've learnt and the team, you know, that were there as well, it was an incredible team, have mm. learnt a great deal. And, you know, I'm so glad that I was an investor and involved in that business. I couldn't be prouder, actually, even though it that's how it ended. So sleepless nights, is, is this part of the Janie Martino um, business cycle? Not at all, actually. And I can thank meditation for that. So... Definitely used to ruminate at night and have sleepless nights when I had the agency. Yeah. But during that time is when I started meditating. And I can honestly say through all of that stress uh, with Unlocked, I I still slept soundly. I, I don't lie awake and think at night. That doesn't mean I don't worry about things or that things don't gravely concern me at various times. But I have the ability to be able to let go of that and and realise that actually all the thoughts I have are just thoughts and they're not going to help me solve that problem. They're not going to make anything better. So all they're going to do is actually make me less productive and potentially unwell. Yeah. So I think I've definitely been able to build that muscle over many years and probably exert it, having been under yeah. great stress. Um, I'm an early riser though. That's my secret. I always have been. Mum and Dad used to plonk me in front of Rocky and Bullwinkle and the Thunderbirds at 5am <laughs> and I really haven't stopped since. Like <laughs> I, just, I like it. Yeah. Well, for the, for the listener's interest, um, Janie introduced me to meditation. In order for me to get over not being on the board of the Melbourne Footy Club anymore, I think, uh, and I can attest to, yeah, it's it's uh, it's a powerful thing, no question that it helps one get through the the ups and downs and the rigors of life, in particular business life. I, I would suggest because it can be particularly stressful. Now, I wonder that one of the other outlets that you may have with regard to just keeping yourself, you know, powerful, is writing books. I can't believe that you're also doing books. So just give, give us a bit of an insight, in maybe in closing, around what you do with your book life. Well, book life, I've always loved writing uh, and book life kind of happened to me actually. So through Creating Smiling Mind, James and I were asked by Hardy Grant to write a book on mindfulness called Mindfulness Made Easy just to really demystify meditation and also make it normal and something that people, it's not about being good at it. Mm-hmm. It's about understanding, yeah, I'm... Do I meditate every day? No. Do I try to? Yes. Um, 
I have lots of thoughts when I meditate. That's it's still working. That's normal. Our minds are designed to think, you know, those types of things. So that's in its third print run, and I think been something James and I absolutely loved working on together for fun. Yep. And then the kids' book, similarly, um, Penguin were keen to, you know, because of our audience, were keen to collaborate on that. And so we took the themes for our from our early learning program and created. Yeah, I wrote I wrote some kids' books on each of those themes, which was one of the biggest joyful projects I had over lockdown. Right. And one in particular I wrote about my youngest son um, and his sense of identity and belonging and being who he was, which was Love just it. so nice to be able to put that out to the world. So Freddie is a 25-year-old that started a business. And he's asked you a question. Did you ever have a sense of imposter syndrome? It's a good question. I have more imposter syndrome now than I did when I was 25. And explain that. I think, like I said, I think at the top end of of this conversation, I thought I knew everything when I was younger. And I think the the more experience you have and more exposure you have to life and business, you realise how little you do know and how much you have to learn always. Yeah. From everyone as well, by the way, not just people that are more experienced than you. Like I learn every day from the people in my team that are fresh out of university. Like so that is why I I didn't used to have imposter syndrome ever. Yeah. Like I actually never did. But I think the more I realise that, the more I have to coach myself out of having imposter syndrome. You definitely need to coach yourself out of that because you do. You, there is no reason in the world why you... Now, final question. The name of the most recent book about your third son. Is... Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> Can you please cut that out? Yeah, we're going to cut out this, all of this since he's been sneezing. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Do you want to have some of my mineral water? Okay. Now, um, so it's called Super Me. Let's go back. Yeah, let's yeah, go back. Okay. Yeah. Because I, I think what's going to happen is I was asking you about your books, then Freddie went off on his, and then I tried something to try and not have him doing that, but it didn't work. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, whatever. So I'm just going to ask you, I'll, I'll ask you again. About I, the books? Yeah. Uh, so, no, just the third book. Uh, okay, so the most recent book you've written about your third son so, for people that are listening, what's it called and where can they get it? It's called Super Me. They can get it at all good bookstores or online. Right. And, yeah, it's just such a – he used to love dressing up in tutus and really expressing who he is. And it's about the response he got from his peers and even adults and how he – overcame that so it's a beautiful story of strength and resilience and now he is nearly 15 and still lives that way so it's inspiring great stuff Janie so speaking of stories it's been really great to have you here at the Sayers um, studio to talk to you about you and your story have you got an AO yet no well, come on. I mean, anyone that's a Barbie needs to have an AO. I think it's crazy that you haven't got one. We need to work on that. That's next. Thanks a lot, Joni. Thanks, Ross.